He scored a magnificent header to equalise and take it to extra time. He gave away a penalty which should have been advantaged by him, but wasn't. And it's come down for Drogba, who this time is the fifth penalty taker for Chelsea in the final shootout. For those of you who don't know, that was obviously Chelsea beating Bayern Munich on penalties in the 2012 Champions League final. Rory, you're a Chelsea fan. Would you say that's your highlight as a Chelsea fan so far in your short life? I think it's got to go down as one of the best moments. Yeah, beating the Germans in their own backyard in such a, in such a spectacular way, I think, you know, just, just adds to it. Uh, so yeah, best moment for a Chelsea fan, I think. And you think Drogba goes down as an absolute Chelsea legend? Just after that result, or do you think um, he was a Chelsea legend beforehand? I think he was building it up throughout his career, but you know, to seal it with first of all the 87th minute header, to then you know slot at home, bottom left for for the Blues was great. It was just great. Incredible, incredible. Because I I can never really work out as an Everton fan myself, so I haven't had the experiences of uh, Champions League football. But like, would you? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> would you? Would you? Would you prefer for Chelsea to win the Champions League, maybe let's say next season, or to win the Premier League? I, th- I think it's a tough one, you know, because the Champions League, you obviously come up against the best teams in Europe. However, the Premier League is more prolonged and it's, you know, the, the best league in the world. And you come up against, you know, the local teams when there are derbies and you have the bragging rights over your friendship group, which is quite key, I think, when you win the Premier League. Both are great. I had to choose one. I would probably, I'd probably choose the Premier League. However, the Champions League was just unbelievable. Yeah, take anyone, wouldn't you? Yeah, either one. I mean, everyone yeah. <laughs> anyone anytime soon. So don't worry about that. Hoping for top six. Hoping for top six. This week on the podcast, we have Wasps and England's international sevens player, Will Wilson. Due to it being Mental Health Week, Will has come onto the podcast today to discuss his own personal troubles and problems with mental health but also to discuss and point our viewers and listeners in ways in which they can seek help themselves with mental health. So welcome, Will, to the S-Word podcast. And for those who may have not read your article released early on in this week, Will, would you like to tell uh, the listeners a quick story about what the article is about and your story as a rugby player, but also the issues which you may have encountered? Yeah, sure. Hi, guys. Um, thanks for having me on, Archie and Rory. Um, looking forward to it. Basically, my, um, my article is about my struggles with mental health as a professional rugby player. Mental health is an issue that affects, I mean, I, I have no idea how many people, but... Um, I believe it's, it's one in four. One in four. Uh, that's yeah. way too many. So I have huge struggles with my mental health uh, in my first year as a pro rugby player and continue to, continue to sort of work at it to, to this day. It culminated in February of last year, about seven, eight months into my pro rugby career where I came very close to taking my own life. But I continued to kind of struggle on and, um, and bounce back. Uh, for those who may feel like they can relate to it, who can be struggling as kind of snapshot of the main issues I felt were injury kept me off the field. It was a sort of a, a problem that I couldn't earn my stripes and, and sort of fulfill my reputation on the field. And coupled with that, I struggled to assimilate with a professional rugby culture that was very much alien to me off it. I struggled to open up to those closest to me. 
Uh, and I'd urge anybody who is listening, who is struggling with the same thing, uh, problem shared, there's a problem halved. Uh, it's a sort of slight cliche, but it's never, it never rings truer. And one of the main things that I wanted to do with my article was, to be honest, I was just sick of my friends um, and my family and those close to me not really knowing kind of what was going on. If I was behaving oddly, I, was re- I really became sick of hiding. Um, and I thought, I'm sitting on this kind of ticking time bomb for me. I thought not getting this story out will not only help me, but also it could really make a difference to those who like maybe fighting a similar battle, but haven't quite found the, the motivation to speak out for themselves. And I'm delighted that actually a lot of people have reached out to me. They've shared it with their friends who've then reached out to each other. And there's really been a kind of chain of chain of positive thinking and, and positive interactions come from it. And it's made me feel better about myself as well. It feels like a huge weight off my chest. And um, I haven't been treated like a wounded dog. It's been kind of very much thanks for sharing and we'll continue to treat you as normal, which has been fantastic. Can you just, just flash your mind back toward those earlier kind of stages, just because a lot of our listeners, they may have just those kind of slight thoughts in their head. It may have not escalated as spiral down out of control um, as of yet, or, but just what would be your advice to identify those issues as soon as possible and what are the actions to take in terms of, you mentioned, speak to people, but what mistakes did you potentially make which you would advise other people not to make to moving forward? I think identifying just a change in a change in your mindset in terms of approaching things you do on a regular basis. So for me, for example, when I first turned up at Wasps, my club, I was full of enthusiasm, determined to make a good impression. You know, we had a lot of sort of setbacks. The club wasn't in a particularly good place culture-wise. But I just kind of got on with it, took the rough with the smooth and, and really wanted to, to impress. And I fast forward then four or five months where I just struggled to get out of bed in the morning. I'd drive into the club and, and sit in my car for like 10 minutes trying to get the motivation to get out and get on with the day. And actually what, what I did was I, I recognized those quite quickly, but I think I spoke to the wrong people. So I knew intrinsically within myself that actually something wasn't right. I, I knew that regardless of you know a crappy situation with being injured, I knew that this was kind of beyond that. I chose to speak to a psychiatrist, which was a good move, but I chose to speak only to the psychiatrist, which was not a good move. There are lots of people, and I had lots of people around me. I had uh, my family who I could have trusted. I had a girlfriend who I could have trusted. I had lots of friends who I could have trusted. And instead, I chose to isolate myself from a sort of personal network. Lots of people will struggle to have access to a professional network in that I was in a fortunate situation where the Rugby Players Association provide counselling and mental health help, you know, free of charge. It's included in your membership. And I'm aware that many people won't have that access. But actually, I found that talking to friends has been a lot more therapeutic for me. Did you mention in your article that that kind of emotional isolation, as in you almost felt a burden if someone expressed maybe their vulnerabilities to you that you didn't want to share your own vulnerabilities to, because you didn't want their mental health to then suffer as having your burden as a result. So surely that's a great lesson in terms of people who should actually speak to those and relate to other people with similar issues. Definitely, because it for me, sharing my story made other people share more of themselves with me. Like several of my friends struggle with depression or anxiety or kind of imposter syndromes or all sorts of things like that. 
And actually sharing your problems means that you almost become more accessible and more empathetic to them and they become more accessible and empathetic to you. So it really works in a cyclical structure, actually, rather than sort of you put all your stuff on their plate and they're like, oh, no, what do I do now? Actually, if you put your stuff on their plate, they then feel like they can talk about their problems and coping mechanisms and whatever it might be. And you can almost help each other while just letting it all out and almost giving yourself a cathartic therapy session without it really feeling like one. Well, it could be like a better, almost a better than a psychiatrist because you actually relate to all issues, whether it's a different scales or whether it's different experiences. You surely, if you can relate on some kind of level, then means you're basically what the whole awareness is about that people aren't alone in this, in their situation and, yeah. um, and that, and that they should continue trying to do that. Yeah. I hesitate to say it, it's necessarily better than a psychiatrist because mm, I mean, okay. like that they, they obviously give an awful lot of professional help. They have degrees and all sorts behind them. They can give you clinical diagnoses. So I'd say it works in a slightly different way. You can obviously relate personal anecdotes, talk about certain things that happened in your life. And your friends are more likely to understand the specific ins and outs of that situation than a psychiatrist is. But then a psychiatrist might be able to identify more clinically what's going on in your mind. As well as just the topic of mental health, well, not just the topic of mental health, but I also want to just highlight how yourself, you've been very open about mental health as a professional rugby player. Last week on the podcast, we had um, Don Best, the England cricketer, who's also been very open about his mental health issues. I think it's very important to highlight that even sportsmen or whether celebrities or people who are often deemed to be in their dream job like doing exactly what they want to do like anyone in this world can suffer um, from mental health issues it doesn't matter about the financial situation or their job like that those are determining factors but i think anyone in this world can suffer from mental health yeah absolutely and you know that there is a <laughs> there, there there is a certain element of for me it was like the quote, never meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you, which is quite a sad quote. But I kind of attribute it to myself, like ne never go for your dream job because it will let you down. Mm. And that's what I found with professional rugby. Like I, I'd put it on this pedestal for so long. For however, like I never thought I'd actually achieve it, but it's always been something that, you know, every, like, every kid grows up his back garden. I want to play for England. I want to do this for a living, whatever. And I got there and it was just nothing like I expected it to be. And a lot of that is, you know, other people might look at you and think, oh, you're living the dream. This must be fantastic. But actually, once you get inside a, a reality and you have this image of this utopian kind of pastime built up in your head and it doesn't meet those expectations, that can be devastating. And it, it, it does sound a little kind of cheap and frilly when you talk about it. But once you're in that situation, it is very real. And, you know, it, 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 it affects all sorts of people, you know, like bankers who earn hundreds of thousands of pounds a year but have to work 100 hours a week and don't have any sort of release at all everyone would look at them just as a, from a capitalistic financial side and think oh you're living the dream you know you can spy whatever you want it must be fantastic and they go well hang on there's so many more uh moving parts to this scenario like my pay is awful i'm not paying any money at all but you know like i, I didn't think that would matter because i've got the outlet of playing rugby which is just fantastic for me but then I, I don't find myself, I'm not miserable because I don't have any money. I'm miserable because I, I don't, I, like the sport I loved and the sport I idolised for so long hadn't delivered on what I expected it to. And well, how as a society do you think we can encourage people to speak out? I mean, we, we have mental health week, but ultimately it's not a week. It's not a day. 
it's you know 365 days a year um how, how do you think as a society we can encourage them to I think, to be honest, we're actually doing pretty well at the moment. Like, there are horrible statistics. As I mean, Matt, one man dies every minute from suicidal mental health issues, and, and that's awful. But I've seen more kind of outreach on this side in the last kind of two years than, than I had done before. I think mental health is really, it, it's becoming sort of, uh, we're moving away from this quite toxic concept of, you know, man up or just let it go or mental health is not a thing or things like that. And you still do hear those comments occasionally, but it's all about getting, uh, you know, people who wouldn't normally share their stories to share them. We live in a world of, you know, massive interconnectedness with social media and, and all sorts. And a lot of the stuff you see on there is negative, vitriol and just absolute trash talking and trolls everywhere. I think we can use it for a positive. And one of the things that I hope to do with my article was that even though, you know, I don't have the profile of someone like a Don Bess, I'm still associated with a fantastic club like Wasps who have a huge social media profile. And I thought if I can release a story that's got an affiliation from there, then it will reach a far wider audience. And I think as a result, people who may be in high profile industries like sports, they can do a lot more, you know, if they have problems, I say it to them, if anybody happens to be listening, not only will it help you to get it off your chest, but also like you can use your profile if you so choose. And your story will reach a far wider audience than you anticipate, as mine did. Have you found that since your article's released that other professional rugby players or any other sportsmen or women have um, reached out to you at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, it ha- you know, it's been... I got kind of messages from people who I hadn't talked to for... 10 years like who I literally didn't even know I was still friends with on Facebook or that I didn't even know that I followed them on Instagram they messaged me being like I read your article that was amazing I thought oh my god I haven't talked to you in forever in fact kind of similar to you Oscar messaging me completely out of the blue so yeah. and but I guess it, that's when social media is good I mean you can, if you have a positive story you can get it out there and use your connections to you know tell your positive story definitely yeah definitely and it, it is amazing actually how far it reaches because Think about how sharing works. If you whack it on Facebook, you share a story, it reaches all your friends, and somebody else shares it, it reaches all their friends. And then you've got ideas kind of bouncing off other people. Like I, had a, I had a situation with uh, the Academy's analyst at Wasps, who he messaged me saying, you know, thanks for that, it really helped me. I've shared it with my, another one of my teams, and I've had two messages from them to me wanting to talk about this discussion, like, wanting to talk about mental health issues. And I thought, this is exactly why I put this out there because, you know, I, I don't have a hugely high profile, but somebody's seen a professional rugby player at Wasps, one of the top teams in England, who said, you know what, I'm at one of the top five teams in the country. I've got this huge profile behind me. I've got everything I could seem to, seem to want, but I'm still willing to put these problems out there. And I think, you know, with stuff things like Dom doing it I know Andy Goode has been quite outspoken about problems with mental health not necessarily his own but a lot of other people's in, in the past and the need to get stories out there and I think the more sportsmen that use their platform that they haven't chosen but they've just kind of found themselves in the better but how, how are you now in terms of has it affected your career as such like you can are you still planning on being a professional rugby player for the next uh, five ten years so, no, actually, I'm not. I am planning on 
playing professionally for a maximum of another year. I'm currently chasing England sevens to see if I can have a crack at the Olympics. Amazing. But if that goes through, I'm taking up a training contract at Slaughter in May. Well done. Play part time for Richmond in the championship next year is the plan at the moment. Go um, off because you've you've played for England sevens before, haven't you? You played um, yeah. you played out in Hong Kong. I mean. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, so you're. So how, how how was that? Firstly, but. oh, it was epic. It was so <laughs> good to say. Uh, we yeah, we. It was a weird situation that the Commonwealth Games were a week later, so they kind of took a, a slightly newer team. So in a sense, I got a bit lucky. Very um, modest. Very modest. But, um, but no, wow, it was just the best. One of the best weeks I've ever had. Just the yeah, I, I can't. I can't even. I still can't really talk about it. And it was over two years ago. It was just phenomenal. And I, I think, I think have another go. I think it's definitely from a spectator's point of view, definitely one for the bucket list. Yeah. No. I. I. I, I find it funny that actually, you know, I've got. I've been to Hong Kong sevens more times as a player than as a spectator. Like I always wanted to go as a spectator and <laughs> go in the south stand and cut beer everywhere. And yeah, I was the one having beer chucked at me. I, sc- I scored a couple of tries in front of the South Stand and I could just hear people going like, behind me. <laughs> what is going on? This is mad. Um, um, well, at least if, if you do happen to, if, if the Olympics doesn't happen, which fingers crossed it does, like you've got experiences like that, which actually you can look back on um, your rugby career just like that. Is, you've, you've done a lot and um, you can be, yeah, you can be no, very proud of that. That's one of, the, one of the important things, I think, for like, people who are struggling is, I, I occasionally like to look back through sort of photos and things like that and like I look back at professional rugby and think I can, t- I can look at it two ways one is that it's turned me into somebody with depression who struggles to kind of who, would, who wouldn't see who would see negatives in some situations instead of positives that he might once have seen but then I think actually there are a lot of times where I had a fantastic time like there are lots of photos where I look back on where I've won trophies or I've played at awesome stadiums or I've actually played alongside some mates and it's taken me to a lot of places it's given me the opportunity to fulfill a lifelong dream regardless of how it's panned out and it's been you know there's a lot of occasions where I've been smiling and that yeah. I think is really important to look well, that's, on. that's a very positive look on it but um, honestly thank you so much for coming on the s podcast you've, you've been incredibly open and um, hopefully those listeners out there will find some of your stories inspiring maybe some of your advice as well they can take on board but thanks for coming on and um, best of luck with everything thanks guys thanks for having me this part of the podcast we like to look over the members articles that you guys have submitted so thank you again for every article you submitted really really appreciate it and we we love reading them and i hope you guys love reading each other's and um love publishing them yourselves as well but um roy you actually um very kindly wrote an article yourself as you know an exclusive no article from one of the s word um s word founders on virtual and esports like do you think these virtual esports have a place in the modern sporting climate or do you think it's a temporary fix during the coronavirus i mean i think look virtual esports are very topical at the moment obviously with no live sport or no live sport around apart from potentially the bundesliga and some racing in france i think definitely i think it definitely will become more apparent that virtual esports do have a place in the world um as i write in the article obviously we had the virtual grand national for the first time this year and I personally think it ran really well and worked. I mean, it's a bit yeah, but, like... But, but that's not going to happen when 
horse racing gets back to normal, is it? So surely it's just a temporary fix. How do, how do we know? I mean, the Grand National has always been under pressure because of the large amount of deaths that happened during it. It's always been put under pressure. And so, you know what? It might, in time, might not run. And the fact that we can have an alternative, such as the virtual one, why not? Yeah, but again, I think it's an alternative. I think if you just have a regular virtual Grand National every year, I don't think that's going to get... Because personally, for my, my family, like, we kind of watch the Grand National because it's a good way to get together. You know, you, it's a good atmosphere at the at Aintree. And um, that's the it's a big occasion where it's not... An, I, I wouldn't find it an occasion. My, well, I personally I just didn't watch this year's one if um, it's just a virtual horse race. But also, you highlight... I think, you know, what they did for to help the, the launch of the virtual for all bets profits to go to charity made a huge help in you know maybe they do that every year they turn it into a from some as some say you know a very cruel race from from the animal's point of view into something good and charitable maybe that could be an option yeah yeah potentially um you did you also mentioned about the financial like reward of these sports i mean like some of these these gaming kind of sports are they they're the scale of the numbers is almost well it is is larger than a lot of the actual real oh, life sports isn't it it's, it's huge, unbelievable huge. i mean for example the male and female winner of wimbledon received 2.35 mil and the grand national winner received 1 million however fortnite just some small little gaming game you know the winner walks away after a week's tournament with 15.29 million dollars i mean it's huge over no. six times what the wimbledon winner wins and you know, not only just that—that's one tournament. The, they, they, the players receive contracts from you know from companies to play for them and sponsorship deals. It's huge. There's actually been a lot of speaking a bit about the video games. There's been a, a bit of chat recently in the rugby world about potentially creating a new like a rugby video game because a lot of people rugby say there hasn't <laughs> exactly a lot of people say there hasn't been a good one since Rugby Eight or maybe Jonah Lomu, but they're saying it. If there's a if there's a seriously good rugby game, think of FIFA for football. Think of Madden for NFL. It gets the young people, just the young sports kind of fans, but like oh, a lot of sport, a lot of young people are gamers, and it gets them gripped into rugby. It gets them knowing the players, and actually, that could be a great way to grow the sport of rugby um, through video game. People laughed initially, but I think it's really, really good point. I don't know about you, Archie, but I'm sure many, many, many of our listeners will agree with me here by saying Rugby Away goes down as one of the all-time great games. And I think, you know, EA Sports, you know, almost did themselves out because, you know, some say they peaked when they released 2008. Rugby, <laughs> I mean, Ahead of their time. I, I think it's hard to get better than that. But you know what? Yeah, I completely agree. Let's give them a chance. And, you know, I do. I think growing the sport will be huge. Uh, yeah, um, maybe, maybe we should do a little poll about um, the best sports video games um, any of the, our followers have ever played. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rugby Awake comes up near the top. There you go. That's our, that's our week's work there. So now moving on to an article, you know, from Henry Parnell. And, you know, something which I'd never really thought about, actually, is why, why do all the American top teams, when they win the league, they call themselves either the world champions or the world series champions? For example, baseball. What? Why? I mean, it's amazing. It's weird. Yeah, I, yeah. I related to Henry's article a lot because I'm a bit of a part-time American football fan. I mean, I'm not not kind of avid, avid, but um, watch it here or there. And I do obviously watch the playoffs and watch the Super Bowl. And um, it just it did just kind of hit a nerve how the fact that 
they just call themselves the world champions and they think they're just, well, they probably are the best in the world, but actually they're the only teams um, who actually have ability to win the, um, the league um, in America. So I thought it was a bit of a relatable article from Henry and it does frustrate me on a weird kind of level. It shouldn't frustrate me, but I think why wouldn't then the Premier League call themselves the world champions because they're calling themselves the best league in the world. I mean, like, the NBA, yes, it is probably yes, it is the best basketball league, but there's also great leagues over in Europe. And so, whereas all these um, teams playing in these European leagues, they've got no chance of ever calling themselves world champions because they're not part of the NBA. So, yeah, I thought it was um, a very, very interesting topic. And so, uh, as you said, you haven't really thought of it before, neither had I. So I thought it was a really good... It's a very, very thought-provoking article. Yeah, very thought-provoking article, exactly. And especially with, you know, people have been watching The Last Dance on um, on Netflix recently. And so obviously Michael Jordan calling himself world champion six times and didn't quite get the seventh. Yeah, so very relatable. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have watched The Last Dance. And then another article by a good friend of mine, Toby Warner, A Summer Without Sport. And I mean, to- Toby writes very well, almost too well. It, it- Almost, you know, it made me miss sports so much more by reading his article. I'll, I'll you saying too well because you didn't understand the, um, the English language. No, I think my um, GCSE English results <laughs> are I understand most English. <laughs> yep. um, but, you know, I think, you know, it just ran through every event throughout the summer. The Open, Silverstone, um, the Test Match. I mean, the gentle buzz of Lords, Ground, all those kind of things came flooding back. Such a shame. Well, I, th- I think from now on, I mean, next summer, hopefully we'll get a full summer of sports. But myself and I'm sure a lot of the followers and um, the sports fans out there will not take for granted if there's a five-set thriller at Wimbledon, which maybe you're not a massive fan of the players. Or maybe you don't follow the tennis circuit a year, throughout the year. But when when you can just appreciate good sports and the amount of good sport we normally have each summer, um, whether it's Wimbledon, um, he, yeah, he references how um, Alistair Cook just doesn't seem to get out in summer and he just keeps checking the scoreboard and he's, and, he's, and, he's just, and he's just still batting. But yeah, I thought he really, he really brought home about how much we are missing sports and how, just how massive sport plays in English summer, um, whether it is... I guess one question, which you know, I'm going to ask you now, actually, which you know, is the million-dollar question. When, when will we see a return to these sports, do you think? Well, it obviously depends on the sports. I mean, it is, it is a million-dollar question. Obviously, we have seen the Bundesliga return already. And football's slightly easier just because it's, it's not as, like, compared to rugby. Um, because, um, rugby I mean, they've gone back to training. Silverstone have booked in a doubleheader this summer for later in the summer. I think things are gradually going back. They are slowly, but they're all they're teaming themselves up to potentially play. But ultimately, it won't be up to them to decide whether they can play or not. Um, because I'd, I mean, I'm more than more than most would, you know, desperate, desperate for sports to come back as soon as possible. But I just this thing is just right at the bottom of the pecking order about what things are going to be released. I mean, there's there's so many more things which they're going to um, release in terms of like yeah, focus on rather rather than sports. So. Maybe maybe October. Um, what was that? Your question was, when do you think we'll see sports again? I mean, fully up and running. Give me a date. <laughs> fully up and running. Oh, well, let's give me a date. The November. Colors. November. November the what? November the 11th. Is that Guy Fawkes night? November the 11th. Interesting. So you think that the sport's going to start on a Wednesday, do you? Hey, hey. <laughs> it's your choice. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd answer your question. I have absolutely no idea. But so there um, you go, guys. 
November the 11th. Wednesday, <laughs> November the 11th, sports returning. Put it in your um, calendars. It'll be there. Yeah, put it in your calendars. Um, and I'll also, can I, I'll actually quite like to give a little plug, Roy, if that's all right, on the S word. I'd like to just plug that, um, what I'm doing myself on uh, Friday, actually. Well, I'm, I'm planning on um, cycling 220 kilometers from my home in Somerset to London. And um, I'm raising, um, raising money uh, for charity as a result. And um, the Thames Valley Air Ambulance, who, um, who helped me, for those who may know, um, I had a head injury back in the day um, playing rugby. So um, I'm raising money for that. And so it's scheduled going to take about eight, nine hours um, without stops. Um, so it's going to be a long day in the saddle. But I'll be, I'll be sharing my route and um, I may go, be going past some of your, um, your houses. So um, have a look and maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe even if some of you got bites, join me for a couple of kilometers. But uh, yeah, it'd be great to, um, if you can, have a spare penny or two, um, donate to a great cause. And um, but yeah, this Friday I'll be planning on doing it anyway. But uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for letting me plug yeah, that, Roy. I think it's a, I think it's a great thing, and uh, you know what? Promote yourself. I love it. Um, <laughs> I think you know it's great. It's great that what you're doing, and fully respect you know the head injury and the ambulance service. So yeah, please guys get behind it, and let's see what we can raise. But just want to say thank you guys all for listening in this week. It's been a good week, and we will get back to you. Yes, England have tied the match. England have tied the match, and Stokes has the strike. Jet Leach, you are my hero. The greatest one of all time. Here we go then. The scores are level. Yes! For Headingley 1981, Reed Headingley 2019. One of, if not the greatest, Test match innings ever played.